1: Welcome to Girls Talk, Boys Talk, presented by Jigsaw, the preferred dating partner of the Dallas Cowboys. Haley Sutton with you, Aisha Morrison, who just almost (laughs) fell out of her chair. Talk about set the tone. And then we've got Jess Navarez as well. Ladies, it's been a minute since we've been in the stew. We had to take yesterday off because Mike McCarthy's press conference went a little bit later than normal. And then we are back on track today. So we have got shows today and tomorrow to get you guys ready for that big rematch against the 49ers. But we are going to spend the bulk of today talking about all of the good things that happened on Monday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Lady, they finally did it. First playoff win, first playoff road win. It felt good to get that monkey off of their back, and now they focus And a lot of really positive things that happened in that game. It was the largest margin of victory in the postseason, 17 points, They had 425 total net yards in the win, and they improved to 36 and 29 in the postseason. That is now tied with Green Bay and Pittsburgh for the second most playoff wins in NFL history. So this is a team that is used to winning in the postseason. It's been a minute since they've done it consistently, but they're back on track. They, of course, have a big challenge in the San Francisco 49ers coming up on Sunday. But ladies, a big, big, big reason for the win against Tampa Bay and the Buccaneers was the quarterback, Mm -hmm. Dak Prescott. An unreal performance. Personally, I think it was his best game ever. I've got some numbers that I wanna read off, but I wanna go to you guys first. What impressed you about Dak Prescott?
2: Um, I, I think for me, it was one of those games that you can tell he was just playing his most confident. And he felt the communication. He knew his guys were going to be where they were. Everybody was on the same page. And that is what we've been missing is those times where everybody's communicating well. Hi, Jazzy. Uh, everybody is uh, you know, doing what they need to do. They're in their spot. They're communicating well. There's just been a lot going forward. Uh, or going backwards, to where you look at these guys and you wonder what the miscue was and what was going on. This was Dak Prescott at his best, his most confident, and the best thing is we finally got to put the end to the conversation of the interceptions. I'm just so proud of him for that, because that alone key to confidence moving into the rest of their playoff journey
1: 25 of 33 for 305 yards four passing touchdowns one rushing touchdown just mentioned it he had zero interceptions a 143.3 passer rating in that game Aisha what was impressive about QB1 for you
3: oh his I so I I don't know maybe it's just me I don't want to be unfair um but I've been watching Dak since I I think he was in since he was in college. One thing about him is that I can tell how the game is gonna go by his mechanics right away. You can tell by his feet. You can tell by how comfortable he is, and he just, like just said, he just seemed like he was he was there. He was so dialed in, but the preparation across the line, like. He was comfortable. You could tell the, the whole offense was comfortable with, was, with what they were doing, and he responded to that. And the mobility, you know, the escapability, the scramble drill, just seeing him do so many of the things that I feel like make him great, make him great, the things that other quarterbacks can't do, throwing the ball to your left, to your right. right. I mean, he waited to the last minute to let that ball go on the sidelines to the, the Dalton Schultz yep. TD. Like, guys can't do that. That's not normal. So, you know, I'm like... To see some of his best qualities, the running ability, just not afraid to put to dip his shoulder, which is terrifying to us, I guess. But to him, no. Like He's really felt like he put all of the good things about his game together, and I think it was a pleasure to see that as someone that's been, as all of
1: us, I'm sure, have been following his career as long as we have. He is the first NFL quarterback. This stat really got me. He's the first NFL quarterback to have four postseason appearances in which he had a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown. Uh, so when you talk about getting a done, with your legs as well as through the air, Dak Prescott did that. But some more impressive numbers. I love the PR staff when they send us out yeah. the post game stuff. Uh, some more impressive stuff about Dak Prescott in this one. He was the sixth NFL quarterback to record both a passing touchdown and a rushing score in four career post games. He finished the game with a 143 passer rating. He had four straight scoring gr- scoring drives to start the scoring for the Cowboys. He had a 75.8% completion rate. That's good for the second highest in post-game team history. But my favorite stat that was not quite a stat, it was just something I found in the trends that I was looking at, in all of the receivers that he threw to, or if you mix in Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, every single one of them caught 50% or more of their targets. So when you talk about Dak Prescott getting it done as well, you mentioned it. This entire offense yeah. was firing on all cylinders. And it was so impressive. I love that you brought up the deck where he was running. It was sideline, and we were all like, oh, here we go, interception. The way he was threading the needle oh, on yeah. some of these passes, yep. like there was one across the middle to, I believe, it was either Michael Gallup or Noah Brown. It went right over the middle. Triple coverage by yep. the time the ball got there. And just... The ability to see that, the ability to sling that in there, and then kudos to the receivers for being able to catch that as well. But just a lot of really good stuff from Dak this week. He also passed Tony Romo for fourth most passing yards in postseason play in franchise history. He now has 1,353 passing yards in the postseason. It's pretty good.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, and you mentioned him seeing everything, dude. Like, I saw somebody on Twitter say, like, if Dak's going to play like this, like, hey, it is what it is at this point because when you're a quarterback seeing everything then is like you have to say to yourself like so what's is it Unless he picks a bad play, it's not going to be a bad play. Like, because yeah. there's, there's not a solution in football. There's a solution to every play, mm-hmm. and for your quarterback to see it and know what to get. Even even things as simple as just a little the little dump offs. You know, just a little just to make the decision of hey, no, I can't I can't fit that down there. Just to make the decision. I feel like his decision making, the the pace. They went tempo a couple of times. Like the control that he had over this game. It never felt like Tampa Bay had any say so in what Mm-mm. went on in this game. And yeah. That is next level. That's when you talk about is your quarterback stepping into like that next realm of quarterbacks. For him to completely dictate the way that game was played was important, I think, for yeah. this team moving forward. Just to be able to step on the field and be like, oh, no, we here. Mm-hmm. And we you know here. what's
2: interesting is I'm looking at his uh, playoff game so far and the stats from all of those. 2016, obviously – the most impressive up until uh, Monday where he had a 103.2 quarterback rating. And then of course this one, 143.3 there. So what's interesting is you look at the history with all of this and within this game, Dak had the most touchdowns. He had the the best touchdown percentage, zero interceptions. This was the first time in Dak Prescott's uh, playoff history. That is that he did not have an interception in a game. And of course, um, It's just very interesting to go back and look at all of these zero fumbles. Uh, He only had one back in 2021, Um, and it's just so good to see the progression that he's had within this time and and postseason Dak is here. I mean, we were we were talking about this and it's so funny because you hear them in the locker room talking about we don't hear the outside noise and. No, he really didn't hear any outside noise. He came with a mission and it was very obvious.
1: I love to, um, my mentor Laura Oakman, who works for Fox Sports, she also does some stuff with Westwood One. She was at that game in Tampa Bay on Monday and there was a moment that was captured between her and Dak Mm -hmm. and Mike McCarthy that was kind of circulating. So she gave some context to that. On uh, social media today and she was talking about a few weeks ago or a few weeks ago last year when uh, Dak had the ankle injury and how Mike McCarthy had given him a ride home at one point and they sat on the porch and just talked Michael or um, Mike and Dak did they just talked and Dak told Laura you know it's it's different. When you're playing for a guy like that, it's different when you have your head coach who is not just your head coach, right? He's not just there to go over the schematics, to go over the reads, to go over, you know, your quarterback play with you, but a guy who's going to be there for you. And I think it was instrumental in Dak that nobody, including Mike McCarthy, has wavered with their confidence in Dak. I mean, every time we've asked about the interceptions, it's been there's no issues, you know, he'll work through it. It's just, it's just a part of it. We've talked about, you know, I've been very adamant in saying like, we've got to do something about it. Like, and I love that the, uh, to me, this is kind of textbook Dak. This is why we fell in love with him as a quarterback was, you know, he talks about being an aggressive quarterback. He talks about being that guy and then to to see it after, you know, missing it for so many weeks. I think it was really impressive on that front, but he of course had some help. We talked before the game in our last podcast about getting the tight ends involved. The tight ends, in my opinion, were spectacular. I think they were game changers. We also begged and pleaded to have Michael Gallup involved mm-hmm. in the game. Yep. Michael Gallup got back into it. But I want to talk about the tight ends first because I think not only, obviously, we had Dalton Schultz have one of the best games of his career uh, from a scoring standpoint, but just their ability to help in some other areas. Where did you guys kind of see the tight ends really make an impact in that game?
3: Uh, well, I over the course of the, the last part of the year, I felt like, They've the blocking hasn't been amazing, but I felt like in key instances in this game, there were some serious blocks thrown by some of these tight ends. I know you want to talk about Dalton Schultz. Like I, I was just impressed with everyone's I mean, but that's how you know your team's locked in when you have like CD throwing a block down the field. And, and um, there was just a collective of like, hey, let's be involved. Let's in, and even McEwen, <laughs> Sean McEwen, I see him and I call him Chippy because you need that physical aspect mm-hmm. in the game, even if you're not doing anything spectacular. I don't. He didn't catch a ball, but you can see him on tape just the last minute, just pushing a guy out the way, just push him on the ground. You know, just <laughs> it, and it sounds ridiculous, but that's what you're asking for in the run game in in these um, in these pass protection situations. And I felt like the tight ends in certain key instances blocked well.
2: Yeah, I was I was trying to go back through my notes and and look where there was the, uh there was a key block by Dalton Schultz and I'm trying to find where exactly it was. But when he did it, I went, "Oh. All right, Dalton, I see you being physical. That's that's great. I mean, what I really loved out of this game in particular for the tight ends in terms of blocking was this was their best game in terms of being available to be those guys when they need it. I mean, that's why Dak was able to roll out of the pocket. He was able to use his legs so much. He had everybody blocking for him I mean every single person on that offense said you're not touching my quarterback even Michael Gallup had a couple blocks I was like okay I, I see you I mean there was just so much um versatility again with this offense and the tight ends and that's what this team has been lacking since you even go back to the Vikings game that's what was working for them that's when those tight ends really stuck out and um When you get the tight ends involved, you get the versatility of, oh, Dalton Schultz is on the field. Oh, Jake Ferguson's on the field. What are they going to do? Are they going to go long downfield or is he going to be a blocking threat? So, again, when you have the ability and the talent to confuse those opposing defenses because you have such a tight knit tight end room, use it to your advantage. Uh, Kellen Moore, all flowers to him and kudos to him for using that and utilizing it to its best this week. Oh, sorry. No,
3: I I think one thing he did, Dalton Schultz does really well that doesn't get a lot of attention, and we saw it in this game as well his his ability to even take um, the DBs, other DBs out of the play, just to carry them out of the play, just to be a decoy, to be there, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, Ferguson did it a couple of times as well. Like, those are things that, again, don't show up on the stat sheet, but get other guys open. Like, and that willingness to play together is important. So I just wanted to point out that about Dalton Schultz as well.
1: Yeah, I was, I'm, we're trying to find something on Twitter for us to talk about in a minute, but you brought up Jake Ferguson, and I I love that because even he, you know, took advantage. You talk about taking advantage of your opportunities. I think yeah. this tight end group has been spectacular when they get opportunities. I'm really sad that we lost Peyton for a little bit. He wasn't in the locker room today, so we weren't able to really get an update on that. But I'm sure that will be a question for uh, Mike McCarthy come tomorrow when we get to speak to him. But you bring up blocking and. <laughs> I, I I loved this play that came in the second quarter. It set up Dax's little scamper outside mm. touchdown score where they're all lined up. Jake bodies he bodies his offensive lineman off spins off and that's how he was able to get open and then the yak ability right we've we've talked about that uh dallas goddard being the yak god so to speak but these tight ends being able to kind of shift the way they are playing to be more versatile to be able to get down the field so for him to take advantage of that opportunity to uh set up his team for the score i just thought everything that this team did was so well executed i thought you mentioned Sean McHugh and I'm like going through all my notes and stuff like that. So I just think it was phenomenal. Going back to Dalton Schultz, he had seven receptions for 95 yards, two touchdowns. His first two postseason touchdowns, I should mention. I didn't realize that he'd never scored in the postseason before. So he's the first tight end in team history with multiple receiving touchdowns in a playoff game. And this is also a stat that I love that I hope continues into Sunday His 95 yards were the third most by a tight end in Cowboys postseason history. And he now has two of the four highest receiving yard totals for a tight end for this franchise. The last time it happened was against San Fran last year where he had 89 yards. So obviously the Dak and Dalton connection is huge. It's real. It's real. It's It's important. (laughs) I, I loved everybody's involvement on the offense in this one. But something that stood out to me. Is the offensive line Continuing to play musical chairs Is a play that I have in my mind That I want you guys to see And we're going to talk about it when we come back On our second block of Girls Talk Boys Talk presented by Jigsaw At Jigsaw Dating We obviously want the Cowboys to bring that Sixth ring home, but to be honest We're more focused on finding the person Who will put a ring on your finger That's why we created a dating app that reveals Your face through meaningful conversation So you can date deeper Because it's personality that matters the most, not looks. Join Jigsaw Dating today. Dating partner of the Dallas Cowboys.
0: All right, Pepsi-loving football fans, it's time we had a lesson in trash talk. And I'm not talking about that stuff that happens on the field. What I'm talking about is trash, and it's the only thing that belongs in your garbage can. Now, recycling might not be as thrilling as converting a fourth and long, but next time you're thinking about throwing that Pepsi Zero Sugar bottle away, just cap it back up and pretend you're down by six with a recycling bin wide open. (sighs) Know the difference? Make a difference. Be a team player and recycle. Visit pepsitrashtalk.com to learn more. I'm Dak Prescott, quarterback of the
1: Dallas Cowboys. And they
0: snap it to Prescott, who looks right. It's not there. He escapes left. He'll run for a first
1: down. Just like football, when it comes to crypto, it's important to have a team you can trust. On Blockchain.com, I know I'm in good hands. Since 2011, they've been trusted by millions around the world to buy, sell, and trade cryptocurrency.
0: Prescott's going to run this himself. Run it up the middle, and he scores.
1: Whether you're new to crypto or an active trader, they've got you covered. What are you waiting for? Get started at Blockchain.com.
0: It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve.
1: Girls Talk, Boys Talk, presented by Jigsaw, the preferred dating partner of the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to talk a little O line, and we're going to tell you while we're laughing after we go to Jess.
2: The Dallas Cowboys are heading to Santa Clara to take on the San Francisco 49ers in the divisional round of the 2022 NFL playoffs. Come out to the Miller Lighthouse at AT AT&T Stadium for a free divisional watch party on Sunday, January 22nd. Cheer on the boys alongside the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders and Rowdy while enjoying $5 Miller Lights, lawn games, food trucks, and more. Gates will open at 4 p.m. and kickoff is at 5.30 p.m. So for more information, you can visit DallasCowboys.com slash playoffs and go Cowboys.
1: Yes, and come hang out out with me. I will be at the Miller Lighthouse Watch Party Ooh. doing some live hits for our pregame live show. So come hang out. I'm excited. I heard last week that it was popping yeah. I think I was told they were expecting about 1500 people That's and like 8, almost 8000 people showed up. So Good for bring Cowboys that same Nation. energy next on Sunday. I will be there. I would love to chat with you guys, put you on TV since everyone loves being on TV. So we'll get you ready for that, but first we are still talking about the Cowboys big win over Tampa Bay on Sunday. Now, before the break, we were teasing a little offensive line work. Ladies, this has just been, to me, one of the most underrated, and I'm going to use the word problem for lack of better terms, but one of the most underrated problems on this team this year is how many times they have shifted around this offensive line, whether it comes mid-game, whether it's been in practice and they've lost somebody and had to shuffle it up. All of these guys are getting reps at pretty much every position. Mm-hmm. And it kind of feels like really nobody except for Zach Martin is truly playing You know where he is normally played. Uh, so to start the game, This was the rotation, for lack of a better term. So Jason Peters started at left tackle. Tyler Smith was then moved to left guard. Tyler Biotish was back. He was back at center. And then you had Zach Martin at right guard, Tyron Smith at right tackle. You also had Connor McGovern back there as the fullback. So that was something important to note. They lost that when they lost Jason Peters to a hip injury. So what do they do? They've done what they've had to do for the back half of the season and they shipped around. So then it changes to the rookie Tyler Smith at left tackle. You then insert Connor McGovern at left guard. Tyler Biotis stayed at center. That right side stayed the same with Zach Martin and Tyron Smith filling out the rest. But we did have a chance to talk to Tyler Biotis today. They hadn't had a chance to have their offensive line meeting yet. So we really didn't get into the nitty gritty of playing San Francisco, but we know what their defensive front brings. And we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, But Something that really stood out to me about him talking today was just the word seamless. And he talked about how, you know, this has been an offensive line. They've used the word resilient to describe their team theme this year. But seamless is the way he would describe the offensive line. Because whenever there's been something where one of the players has gotten hurt or they've had to shift, for the most part, they have seamlessly Transitioned into a different rotation. I think this is what, like their fifth no, or sixth we didn't, I didn't, If you were watching
3: the game, to your you, point, you didn't notice. You had yeah. no idea. No, you're right. You like, had no idea. The multiverse excited. of
1: offensive line <laughs> switches for the Dallas Cowboys. So it's just, to me, like, I think we take for granted how important. Yeah. It is for these guys to be able to do that. I mean, like, because, I mean, if you didn't notice, like, I for sure didn't yeah. notice.
3: No, yeah. I, I love, I don't know what word you used to describe it, but you, because it, it doesn't look, because the offense has performed well, it doesn't look like a, a weakness of the team Seamless. or yeah. something that's been an issue, like, mm-hmm. to your point. But no, I credit to those guys for being flexible and uh, Tyler Smith, dude. I I don't even
1: think we can call him a rookie anymore.
2: No, because
3: he's
1: got three years of
2: experience. It's
3: insane to think, (laughs) like,
1: to be able to do that in-game,
3: not only to do it in-game, but to go from guard to tackle and to be as dominant as he was on that side, dude, in his first playoff match. And, granted, we talk about it. Like, these guys are young. Like, at this time of year, normally he's not playing. And for his body to be there just tells you the work that he put in. And I was just, I'm telling you, I ain't going to lie to you. I was really impressed with Tyler Smith. And I just, the fact that he just moved over and was like, all right, cool.
2: And I I think too, all season (laughs) though they've been on their toes, so to say, right, ready to be so versatile. So having to do it in this game, they're like, all right, it's not new anymore that they have that they've had to do this. So it's become almost muscle memory to be prepared to switch at any position. But that's so special. Mm -hmm. Just because they can do it doesn't make it any less special. That's the point. Is that's special. That's hard to find. We talked about the muscle memory when this conversation first came up weeks ago. How hard that is to retrain and repeat. And the fact that these guys. are doing it on the drop of a dime now are you kidding me seamless yeah, that's like incredible that's the, I'm looking
1: at like my notes from when we talked about it and he said it was a seamless transition there was no drop off and that's the important part yeah he said a lot of the reason why they're able to do it is just being able to know like I know when you spoke to Connor and them last week he talked about taking reps at other positions multiple times throughout the week just so that they can be prepared for that uh, so I mean like when they feel comfortable obviously it, it, it shows yeah. right and It also shows when you look at the numbers, too. I spent some time on next-gen stats today because we talked about Dak being successful, right? He looked so much more comfortable out there. His decision-making, his ability to roll to his right. You talked about the Dalton Schultz touchdown, his decision-making. He was able to do a lot of that stuff because this offensive line— afforded him the time to do that. So I wanted to kind of look at the numbers and see, okay, how long was Dak in the pocket? How long did he have time to make these decisions? Is it longer than normal? W- where's it at? So NextGen provides a lot of really important information. This one in particular is the player's time to throw. So on 11 of Dak's 13 attempts, he had 2.5 seconds or less. So he completed 11 of 13 passes with less than two and a half seconds to throw the ball. But to me... What stands out even more is that, two point five one seconds or more, he had fourteen completions on twenty attempts. That means he had twenty opportunities with more than two and a half seconds to throw in the pocket. I mean, to me, pass pro was insane. To, like that—that—that's your answer. It was so opposite from what you saw in Washington, where he was running for his life, right? <laughs> like. They were in his face. And I just think, like, when you look at what he was able to do, you have to give credit to that offensive line.
3: Yeah, and and to that point, like, they they weren't going up against no slouches. Like, Vita Vea, those uh, Hicks, Akeem Hicks, like, those it was a boxing match in there. Like, if you go, like, at the line of scrimmage, Biotish and McGovern are – Doing everything they can, fighting through th- those those blocks and and Tyron Smith like I, and he to me also too f- looked very comfortable at yep. right tackle, more comfortable than we've seen in a while. And those his pass sets were clean and he seemed prepared. I I just this I didn't even know about this. This is fantastic.
1: I know He's it's a, great. You, you and I lock look, the mic. On I'm it. literally yes, looking clean. at it too. And you know his average time to throw he had about almost four seconds, three point five three seconds, and on all of those. Within that time period is when the touchdowns came. All mm. four of his passing touchdowns came when he had time to look and he said, "Okay, that read's not working. Cool, let me roll out." Oh, hey, Dalton, I see you twice. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I just think like, if there's any way to contextualize like how important offensive yeah. line play is, shout out to Gen Stats for being able to chart this because I mean it's impressive. Like it's a, it really is, and it yeah. and it shows just again the comfortability that he had back there. His. Yep the the time to decision-make. Like, I don't think he's really – I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but it hasn't really felt like he's had opportunities like this where it was just like, okay, they're coming, but I can trust my line. I can trust the tight ends to get in here and, and give me a chance to look at who's going. Okay, CD's double-covered. Let me yep. look at the other side. Oh, there's T.Y. Hilton. Let me hit him for another third down. You Everybody
2: know? was just doing what they needed to do, and yeah. they all seemed so focused, like – it, it seemed like the outside noise, it, they were in their own world. I, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, everybody went back to the basics this week, said, all right, let's do what we need to do. And. Specifically for the O-line, what was so incredible to see was how physical they were being. Oh, my goodness. Yes. They were being so physical. Let's talk about physical. You could hear, <laughs> let's get – now. you could hear the popping. And and so that's something, too, that when – you know, I, I wasn't there at the game, obviously. But when you're hearing it on the live stream, the pop, pop, pop. That's so loud that the camera mics are picking that up. But you were hearing it on almost every play. That pop that you hear when it's a hard hit, you kept hearing that from the Cowboys offense. And it was loud enough that I was like, is that my TV? Like, what's going on? Yeah, but that's, extra it was just so physical. And I mean, this is exactly, exactly why you have the talent on this team and we we always talk about you have so many future hall of famers in this o-line and it's showing i mean dak yeah. had all day in the pocket clearly literally yeah
1: <laughs> literally all day it was so fun too yesterday on cowboys hour we had uh terrence Steele as our guest which was awesome i haven't yeah. had a chance to really uh get to know him or really speak to him just because of the linemen kind of like to sneak out of the locker room kind of quick but <laughs> it was so refreshing number one he let cowboys nation know that he is a a little bit ahead of track whenever it comes to his ACL recovery. So that was really positive. Uh, he's hoping and he was pretty confident that he'll be back for training camp. His words, not mine. So don't come at me if it doesn't happen, Cowboys Nation. <laughs> but uh, he was pretty confident. Um, but one of the things he was talking about was just how very similar to Dak when Dak was out with his thumb injury, how much his analyst, analysis rather of the game has changed Mm. so much. Like it it was such a negative experience initially. He talked about like the shock of like, oh here's my ACL torn. But it's just changed his ability to just kind of watch the offensive line. Like Brad asked him, he was like, when you're watching the game, like are you watching it to watch it or are you watching the offensive line? And he's like offensive line he can't the whole time, yeah, the, whole time the whole time so um i just thought it was interesting but to your point he talked about tyler smith and how incredible it is to see a guy who i mean like the things that this team has asked him to do yeah. are I- incredulous but it doesn't feel that way because of how successful he's been and you saw it we were laughing at when we came back whenever he threw Devin white to the ground i mean picked him up And threw him to the ground. (laughs) And I think it's such an an underrated part. And I'm trying to keep my jacket on my shoulders. But, like, picked him up, threw him. I don't know that that's something that you would see Tyler Smith do at the beginning of the season. Right? Just because he needed some development. But to have the confidence. I mean, he was, like, way pushed up past the line of scrimmage. It was like he... Drug him and it was you know the little uh the dummies that they practice on. Yeah, I'm
2: it was like textbook like, like the <laughs> it was basically yeah, like that guy scene from like the blind the side <laughs> yeah, he he's was, like yeah. pushing him over the stands right there the, and yeah, He's in always that one been a finish. Scene. He's always yeah. been, so he likes to
3: like, yeah. He's physical like that, so he, he wants to finish. And in the playoffs, like you you, you kinda want to impose your will in that way. I yeah. was impressed by him earlier. Yeah. Just
2: so physical. And, and it's funny too, because you talk to him and he's such a gentle, know, nice guy. But then you it. see him playing, you're like, Jeez, oh my goodness. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. Like I don't, <laughs> oh, nice. I don't want to mess with you, but he's so sweet when he's talking, and he's just very uh, gentle-toned. I guess is a good way to put it. But you know, I, I think for Tyler Smith, something that always gets me is right before training camp, I, or right during training camp, when they were back here um, at the star for those couple of open practices. It was highly speculated at that point that he was not going to be the starter. And uh, Coach McCarthy had come out and said, you know, where it stands right now, probably not. He needs a lot more work, a lot more development. And then boom, a couple days later, Tyron Smith is out for the count with his injury. And then look who stepped up. And you just never would have thought the amount of growth that Tyler Smith has had this season was even possible, much less possible within one season. I mean, it's hard to forget or it's hard to remember this guy's a rookie. Like you said, it feels like we're talking about a veteran at this point.
1: Like I just sometimes I always go back to my tweet I put out about um, how well this rookie class was performing and I forgot to put Tyler Smith on there, not because I was trying to forget him, but just because you forget that he's a rookie. Um, They will have their hands full, though, and we'll obviously get into San Francisco a little bit deeper tomorrow. But just some things to keep in mind that they're facing the number one defense in the NFL you want to talk about physical? That is the overarching theme that these guys said in the locker room today. Is that they are facing a physical defensive front in San Francisco. Uh, they have the number one defense, as I mentioned. They have the uh, oh my numbers always get so mixed up. Uh, the second ranked rushing defense They only allow seventy-seven point two yards per game uh, on the ground. Their passing defense is a little skeptical. They've had some injuries there, so it might be an area to exploit. But uh, just some things to keep out for. Uh, the name that stands out to me and probably everybody else in the league who will likely be the defensive player of the year is Nick Bosa. Uh, So just some things to keep in mind. Again, we'll get into this a little bit more tomorrow. But a lot for these guys to prepare for. Something else they talked about a lot was the shortness of time that they get to prepare versus San Francisco's extra two days. Uh, I'm not a fan of that. I know a lot of people aren't a fan of that. But – the positives is that, you know, for this team, they're so used to the craziness. Yeah, yeah just sure. the, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say underdog because we know how that went over, but just <laughs> like the backs against the wall kind of having to do sure. with what they have. So some things we'll get into tomorrow, a little bit of tease for there, uh talking about the San Francisco 49ers, but... We would be remiss if we did not talk about this Dallas Cowboys defense and how well they performed on Monday, how that translates into Sunday's game against San Fran. We are going to spend our last block of the show talking about the defense when we get back. At Jigsaw Dating, we obviously want the Cowboys to bring that sixth ring home. But to be honest, we're more focused on finding the person who will put a ring on your finger. That's why we created a dating app that reveals your face through meaningful conversation so you can date deeper. Because it's personality that matters the most, not looks. Join Jigsaw Dating today. Dating partner of the Dallas Cowboys.
0: All right, Pepsi-loving football fans, it's time we had a lesson in trash talk. And I'm not talking about that stuff that happens on the field. What I'm talking about is trash, and it's the only thing that belongs in your garbage can. Now, recycling might not be as thrilling as converting a fourth and long, but next time you're thinking about throwing that Pepsi Zero Sugar bottle away, just cap it back up and pretend you're down by six with the recycling bin wide open.
1: Block here on Girls Talk, Boys Talk, presented by Jigsaw Dating. We're going to talk a little Dallas Cowboys defense, but first, Jess is going to talk.
2: James Wright is your 2022 Cowboys Fan of the Year. James brings the spice to every Dallas Cowboys game, and now he needs your help to bring him to the Super Bowl. Vote for James to be given the ultimate title of NFL Fan of the Year, presented by Captain Morgan. By casting your vote at nfl.com slash fan of the year, go vote for our guy, James. Go
1: vote for James. James. Ladies, let's talk about this defense because obviously it has been the staple and it has been the cornerstone of the Dallas Cowboys roster for much of the season. We talked about getting the boost back when you get back a Leighton Vander Esch and his impact was felt almost immediately. He led the team in tackles with five solo nine combined tackles. So good to have him back. Jonathan Hankins making a return as well. He had that sack in the fourth quarter that pretty much sealed the deal uh, for the game. In my opinion, it pushed Tom Brady back about nine yards and they had to go forward on fourth down and obviously were unsuccessful so good to have those guys back J. Ron Curse obviously with a big game as well he had Tom Brady's which again I did not know this as well that was Tom Brady's first red zone interception in his time as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. So Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder if J-Ron knows that. I'll have to ask him tomorrow. But just a lot of really, really, really good performances. We did get an injury update with J-Ron, by the way. He is very adamant about playing (laughs) on Sunday. So uh, that's kind of his, his thing. He smiles and he says, I'm good. I'm good. So he sounds like he will be good. Uh, but what stood out to you guys about this defense and how successful they were in containing Tom Brady?
2: The best way I can put it, and you know, when listening to the broadcast, I, I always love to listen to the analysis from the broadcasters. And this point, Troy Aikman make, made a very good statement that stuck in my brain, and he said every pass... By Tom Brady is challenged by the Dallas defense, and that just puts everything. All sixty-six uh, of them, by the way. Tom Brady threw the ball say, sixty-six time. times. It was time. it was so hard for Tom Brady to do anything mm. in this game. He couldn't even breathe without ever without the defense being like, "No, you want to do that again? See what happens." I mean, it was they they did exactly what they needed to do. They went out there early. They were in his face. They were collapsing the pocket. Michael was doing his little rollout moves to get to Tom Brady. I mean. Lion was hungry. Yeah. Lion was hungry for Tom Brady and it showed. I mean Tom Brady was so flustered by the end of the first quarter. That's yeah.
1: Well, and they told us too. Their that goal was their goal in this game was not to necessarily make Tom Brady change his game plan, but it was to disrupt him. Yeah. It was to make him uncomfortable. It was to make him, you know, that's in my opinion that's why he had to throw the ball so much because you couldn't get the run game going. So yeah. now you're you're forcing passes and before you know it you're up to 40 attempts and then you're at 50 and then you finish with 66 like Unreal. Uh, but I'm glad you brought up Micah. Micah was such a game changer in this game. Ten pressures, that's the most against Tom Brady in the last five seasons. Eight of which he lined up on the right edge, two on the left edge. But, I mean, he was really impressive. Again, this comes from next-gen stats. I love next-gen. You guys... uh Hop on that if you are not part of Next Gen Stats. We had 10 total pressures on Tom, one of which led to a sack. The 10 pressures, as I mentioned, on Tom Brady were the most on him over the last five seasons. And Tom Brady was two of eight with a sack on those pressures so when you talk about being a game changer Micah told us I mean Micah was all business last week he was no funny business he was very locked in they all were but to see that come to fruition and and how it really affected uh the Tampa Bay offense it's typically pretty good when it comes to passing uh impact player for sure
3: yeah I had a moment like right before the game where I was watching them warm up and again like I can't even explain it but like takes a warrior to know a warrior like and I was looking at them and I was like oh no that they are about to act a fool. Like, mm-hmm. and Micah, like you to your point, like we had talked to them all during the week and they had this conviction about um this game and you could tell just the defense overall trusted this game plan. They trusted yep. what they had practiced during the week. Um they were so active, but when you talk like Micah to me, Micah and the guys in the box, like that front seven, really came to play and they made things so uncomfortable. But I know we're going to get to it. I mean, Israel makwamu, these DBs,
1: these I knew you DBs were going there. I just highlighted him. Yes. So just said, Aisha, yo, you time to shine." <laughs> yo,
3: when you talk about like footballs, I look at it as a machine, right? And those DBs made it easier for the, for the front seven as well. And they were so sticky in coverage. Their, their hands weren't everything. Just like you mentioned, like, just like, there were batted balls all, all over the place. This defense was so active, and they played together. And I, it, I felt like they really played for each other mm-hmm. this game. Um, and I, I was impressed by their output, but they just trusted their game plan and credit to Dan Quinn and those guys for having them ready.
1: Yeah, Israel McQuamo to me, was a standout, a difference maker, especially when you have Nishan Wright uh, listed as inactive, as well as Trayvon Mullen, who I believe was out with an illness. Mm-hmm. He was in the locker room today. I didn't a chance to talk to him. But uh, just shows, for, in my opinion, I don't know if that's going to be like a standard fixture going forward for as long as they continue to play. But to me, if anything, it shows that Dan Quinn can take a look at an offense. They can take a look at a guy like Tom Brady and say, OK, this is what they like to do. This is what we have. Mm let's remix it very similar to the offensive line let's remix it let's see who matches up well where Uh, Israel just happened to be the guy this week and I thought he did a fantastic job I think something that is going to pay dividends going into the San Francisco game is how well the run defense was and I know it's difficult because Tampa Bay's run game is not tremendous but to hold a team to 52 yards on 12 attempts, yeah. to me, like, that screams we gave up. No,
3: we got to yeah. be fair, too, <laughs> yeah. about the we run. We gave up. Yeah, I just think also, too, we got to be fair in, about the run defense in this last, like, four or four, five weeks. Like it's, when, improved. Yes, yeah. it's improved. Yes, it's improved. And not in the ways that I think people are looking for, just like, it's dominant. No, but it is it is far more than good enough to get guys off the field or to give the pass rushers opportunities mm. and to set the tone. Yeah. <laughs> because a lot of the time when you had Donovan coming down in the box, when you had latent tackle just those hard tackles change the way the game feels. And Hankins coming in, they did some stunts. They did some stuff. Like, I was just so impressed with also the DTs. Also, Diggy Zua has arrived, my friends. Mm -hmm. He is playing, like, one of the best D tackles in the game right now. And him and Watkins, just, I think that DQ has also found a set rotation of DTs right now, depending on, like, we were surprised. I was surprised by by Bohanna. Mm -hmm. Were you guys surprised by the... I was initially
1: when I saw the inactive list, but after listening to some of the other guys in DallasCowboys.com kind of explain it, it just goes back to the same reason why Israel McQuama was Match active ups. and Nation wasn't. Right. They just felt like Chauncey Goldston, the way he's been playing, and, you know, OSA, it, he, they just felt like those matchups would bode better mm-hmm. than having a Neville or. Um, Who's the other guy we were just talking about? Uh, uh,
2: uh, Bo Hanna. Bo Hanna, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I, I, was like, what? I, was I was like, I like, think it goes dang. back to how Dan Quinn had talked about. We've been playing with our versatility a little bit the past few weeks, which, you know, that's why everyone's been so hard on this defense. Oh, they don't look the same. Yeah, because that wasn't your final defense that you were getting. Mm-hmm. Dan Quinn knew what he was doing and put, pulling people around, tossing people in and out. And then when this inactive list came out, I said, all right, I'm going to trust it. I'm going to trust it, Dan Quinn. And Dan Quinn we trust because – It worked out. But I wasn't expecting no Izzy in the slot. No. I don't care what nobody said. I don't like it. I feel bad a little bit. It's one of those surprise factors, though, that uh, Tampa Bay wasn't expecting Izzy in the slot either, apparently. You know, I mean, Izzy's just been such an up and up guy this season, and he doesn't get enough credit. And I'm so glad now, finally, this game highlighted Izzy at his best.
1: Well, I think it's been hard to give him credit because he's in a room with guys like J. Ron and Malik yeah. and and Dono, so it's like
2: yeah, and also it's too difficult. also I, not the same room. But welcome back, Leighton Van Der Esch. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. Oh my goodness, it it didn't even look like he missed any games. Tell me how this man came off of an injury weeks off of this game didn't even look like he missed a step. I will say though, with Leighton.
1: He his injury. A lot of what he did leading up to it, just from my understanding, was less of like you need to sit out because you're still hurt, and more of we want you to be fresh for this type of game. Yeah, same with. So I think it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it really. I think when they put Jonathan Hankins on IR, they looked at the timeline and they said like, this is gonna be good. That way, you'll be fresh when you need it best. Just bonked my chin on the mic were so excited. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and so I think you kind of saw that coming to fruition because we even heard from Leighton, uh, you know, two weeks ago that he was ready to go. <laughs> He's very adamant. You know he was I mean? ready to go. So it was good to obviously see him back. Like I said, a, a major impact that was noticed right away leading the team in tackles. Also, you get your general back, as we've talked about a lot. Yeah. Um, again, we'll get into more San Fran tomorrow, but I think the... Run defense, going back to my original point, the run defense performing as well as they did, I think gives this team some confidence, especially when you're facing a team that has a Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell, a Debo Samuel, who can act as a hybrid guy and and is physical in that way. So I I think that Monday's game rather gives this team a lot to work for, a lot to work with. And the most important part, and again, we'll get into San Fran tomorrow. But the most important part, guys, is like these guys are ready. Yeah, you know they. I loved that we when we were asking, talking to guys in the locker room just about the matchup. The word revenge was being thrown around by reporters. Like, does this feel like a revenge game? Does this? Do you guys feel like you need to get revenge? And every single one of them was like it's not revenge like we want one back like even a T.Y. Hilton I asked him you know you weren't here last year but can you feel what this game means to this team and he said oh yeah like we want one back like don't get it twisted but we can't focus on what happened last year we've got to stay in the present we've got to continue doing what we're doing we've got to continue to play the way that they played on Monday so yeah a lot of things to get into with San Fran tomorrow but A lot of positives to take away from Monday's game. Hopefully we continue to play ball.
2: Any final thoughts, ladies? I just really like how this team and the Cowboys of all teams have so much historical background and context to things all the time. But I love that this team specifically this year is turning that tide to say we're rewriting the history. None of that matters to us because it's in the right now. And I just appreciate them so much for that because there's so much outside noise and pressure of, oh, the first time in 30 years. And. And those kind of stigmas and historical backgrounds. But this team doesn't let that bother them. And I love that for them. Especially for a game with San Francisco. There's so much history there. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. But... Yeah. Good for them.
1: I loved your tweet that you put out and I love your clapbacks as well. I was like, like, yes, yes." Jess. But the tweet that you put out where you talked about it being, you know, sort of poetic justice, if Mm -hmm. you will, in, you know, taking on Tampa Bay, a team that they started the season with and then getting the opportunity to slay the dragon. That is the 49ers. Uh, I think that that is important insight for fans to recognize, you know, kind of the the coolness, again, for lack of better words, that this playoff journey is kind of creating for them. But I also love the juxtaposition of these guys, this team, head coach Mike McCarthy, emphasizing that the history of this franchise is not their responsibility. Yep. So I I love their energy. We'll get one final chance to chat with them tomorrow. I'm sure we'll hear from Dax, Seek, CD, Micah, all of the big guys, and we'll have that insight for you. Do you have anything else?
3: Mm-mm. Okay. Mm-mm. Nah, I'm ready. I'm just as ready as they are, man. Like looking at these matchups and stuff, we're gonna get into it tomorrow. Yeah.
1: We'll see. It'll be a good one. Let's rumble. It'll be a good one. We will have some <laughs> insights from the other side. We'll talk some San Fran ball and we'll hopefully give you some keys to pay attention to as the Cowboys get ready for the next round of the playoffs against the San Francisco 49ers. But for now, Cowboys Nation, enjoy that victory. Enjoy taking down Tom Brady. And we will be back tomorrow to move on to the next game.
0: This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How
2: about this, Cowboys? Yeah!